Well, as mentioned earlier, today is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, and I want to ask you to think real deeply, what is your theology of life? What is your theology of life? It's easy for us to throw words around and expressions around and see different dates on the calendar, but when you think deeply about your theology of life, what comes to mind? The Bible teaches that human life is sacred. Said simply, we are to respect and protect life at every turn, at every age, in every way we possibly can. And today we're going to continue our series on living, loving, and leading like Jesus and looking through the lens of another of the Ten Commandments as we've been doing throughout this entire year. If you look at commandment number six, it says, do not murder. And I want you to think of this analogy. When you zoom in, it says, don't take life. But if you zoom out and take the totality of all of Scripture and build a theology of life, really what that command is saying, especially through the words of Jesus, is we need to protect and respect life. We don't take life, but said positively, we respect and protect life. And so I want you to think with me very deeply about this. Now, we've been talking about building a biblical worldview, and uh, we've been talking about living life in the center of three circles. And as you see the Venn diagram that'll pop up here, you see that uh, uh, we need to ask ourselves, what is really important to us? You know, we live in a day and age, I was reading a, uh, a theologian who uh, writes on systematic theology, and he said, today, many Christians just kind of believe whatever uh, the echo chamber says and whatever they kind of feel comfortable with, and very few people anchor deeply in theology. And so I want to ask you, what is your biblical worldview again, and as we've been talking about this each and every week? You know, we talk about the first circle, and that is biblical morality, and we've talked about the Ten Commandments and the Eight Beatitudes. The Eight Beatitudes were written on top of the Ten Commandments by Jesus himself. Jesus deeply valued the Ten Commandments, built his life on it, and then expanded uh, his life and teaching on it. So understanding what we believe and believing, uh, you know, what we know is so vitally important, but that's not the only thing. Secondly, we need to really dial in biblical purposes, and that's the Great Commission, go into all the world and make disciples, and then love God, and then love your neighbors yourself. That's the Great Commandment. I can't walk around and use my morality as a billy club and just start beating on people who don't agree with me. How am I going to reach them for Jesus? The reason I'm here is to be uh, salt and light and influence people to Jesus Christ. But that's not all. There's biblical virtues. And that's the Bible ethic of love that we see over and over and over again. 1 Corinthians 13, Galatians chapter 5. Jesus said, they will know you are Christians by your love. And so I need to take all three of these, hold them in tension, and live in the center of those three circles, believing deeply, reaching passionately, and loving fiercely. What is your biblical worldview? We've been talking about what does it mean to live, love, and lead like Jesus. And I shared a little devotional on Facebook this past week from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, one of my favorite scriptures in all the Bible. I know I say that about a lot of scriptures, but it's true. It's one of my favorite scriptures in all the Bible. And the first four verses, Paul basically says, okay, this is how you basically live, love, and lead like Christ. You need to, to love with all your heart, you need to be humble, and you need to be a servant. And then he jumps verses 6 through 11 called the Christ Creed or the Christ Hymn. Those precious, precious verses, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11. And Paul says, look it, this is how Jesus did it. 
This is how Jesus loved. He came and gave his life. It says here, Jesus humbled himself, and he came not to be served, but to serve. This is how you live, love, and lead like Christ. And then verse number five kind of holds it all together. It's there in the NIV that Paul says, you need to have the same mindset like Jesus. You need to think just like Jesus. You need to make your life built around the life of Jesus. You need to live, love, and lead like Jesus. What a powerful, challenging reminder As we look at commandment number six, with this idea, we want to live, love, and lead like Jesus, we come to a commandment that to many is very legalistic. You know, a lot of times people look at the commandments and they say, well, man, it's just a bunch of legal mumbo-jumbo, but it's not at all, especially as you look at the words of Jesus who expands on it and, and peppers it incredibly with grace. We've been talking about how there were two tablets that Moses came down from the mountain. The first tablet was the Love God tablet, like I Uh, have been saying. And the second tablet is the loving people tablet. The first tablet says you're going to have one God, uh, no idols, uh, you know, don't misuse the name of the Lord and and keep the Sabbath holy. And then the love people tablet is all about don't dishonor mom and dad, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't covet. And today we're going to jump to the second tablet and talk about the sixth commandment, don't murder. What is your theology of life? Let me give you three guiding principles that guide my thinking as I develop my own personal theology of life. Number one, human life is indescribably valuable and precious. Indescribably valuable and precious. Every life of every age, every race, every person you can imagine, of every description. Exodus 20.13 simply says, you shall not murder. You zoom in, it says don't take life. You zoom out, it talks about the sanctity of life. Protect and respect life. The, The scholars and the commentators say that this idea of do not murder is really a verb that means don't uh, take the life intentionally, premeditate or deliberate act of taking the life of another person. There's a difference between murdering and killing in the Bible. Other commentators talk about seven Hebrew words for killing. The word used here appears only 47 times. And again, at the heart of this verb is intentional, premeditated, deliberate, life-taking. Now, what does this command apply to and what does it not apply to? Let's start by talking about what it doesn't apply to. It doesn't talk about Uh, killing beasts. And all of you hunters are really happy about that. Uh, Many of you thought you were, you know, breaking one of the Ten Commandments, but actually you're not. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Um, It also said, by the way, let me say this. If you go to the BCA app, hopefully you are on the app, go ahead and look at it, and you'll see expanded notes. There's verses, many verses for all of these. I've kind of kept the the slides a little bit, uh, you know, simple and plain, but a bunch of verses for each of these points and many others uh, that we don't have on the slides here today. We just don't have time to cover all that. But Genesis 9-3 talks about beasts. Exodus 22-2 talks about defending uh, one's home from nighttime burglars. Can you imagine that? That's in the Bible. Uh, Take a look at it, Exodus 22. Uh, It doesn't uh, apply to accidental killings, Deuteronomy 19.5. It doesn't uh, relate to self-defense, Exodus 22.3. It doesn't uh, relate to execution of murderers, Exodus 21 and following. Uh, The subject of capital punishment is a great discussion that uh, we don't have time to get into here today. And then it it doesn't uh, refer to just war. 
I mean, the Bible says there's a time for war and a time for peace. You know, there are basically three views of war. There's uh, pacifism, no war ever. Uh, there's just war, which I believe in, and that is there are going to be times where you need to stop an aggressor, uh, you need to rescue people from evil, you need to care for the needy and helpless. In fact, C.S. Lewis in his book, The Weight of Glory, a compilation of many of his essays, says, this is why I believe in just war and I'm not a pacifist. I recommend it to you. But there's a third view, and that is the holy war, kind of the, the crusades, you know, the 11th through 13th centuries where the Pope said, hey, let's go out and, and you know, kill off all these people. Let's get uh, Jerusalem back from the Muslims. And there were a lot of atrocities during that particular time of history. Most Christian churches today would not believe in holy war, you know, war at all costs. You know, Lisa and I have a, uh, an army family. I mean, we've got two boys in the army. And so we're not really, uh, you know, excited about, hey, let's just have a bunch of wars, you know, for any frivolous reason. I mean, we got skin in the game. You know, when it's your kids that are going out there on the front lines, it's a different deal. If it's somebody else's, you know, well, then, uh, you know, you don't feel it quite as much. Hopefully you do, but, but you probably don't. So uh, while I'm not a pacifist, because I think there is a reason that we need to stand for righteousness, neither am I, hey, let's just go do a bunch of wars for, for no reason. And I believe that's what the Bible is teaching here, uh, just war. Uh, the command does apply, of course, to homicide. It applies to self-murder or suicide. And I say that very gently because I know there are uh, many in our church family who have been touched by suicide. I've talked to many people about suicide, and I'm going to come back to that one in particular a little bit later. But we serve a God of grace, a God of mercy, and uh, we need to find ways to reach out and minister to people uh, in their mental illness, their hurts, their uh, hopelessness, whatever that might be. But I believe it does refer to self-murder and suicide. And a lot of verses are listed there on the website. Assisted suicide, euthanasia, accessories to murder, uh, like David and Uriah. Remember that story in 2 Samuel 12? And then those who exploit uh, murder, like 1 Kings 21, the story of Ahab. All of these verses are listed there on the website. So uh, as I think of three guiding principles, I think, first of all, that human life is indescribably valuable and precious. We start with that foundation. Secondly, human life is holy, it's sacred, and it must be treasured. The Bible says that every single person is created in the image of God. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. We are image bearers. You know, the Latin is imago Dei. We are image bearers. The Catholic Church teaches that human life is sacred, and they've been very, very vigilant and diligent on that, and it's exceedingly biblical. Uh, we need to see life as sacred and holy and something to be treasured. So many verses in Scripture talk about it. One of the most po poetic and beautiful is the Scripture that we read in Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16. You remember these words. You've read it many times. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you. I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. I mean, just think about that. When you were conceived, God knew you intimately. And he had a plan and a purpose for your life at that moment. Let that sink in a little bit. Life is precious. It's sacred. 
You matter to God. Every single person matters to God as much as anybody who's ever lived. It's a profound thing to think about. In fact, I wrote down some foundational truths that I think is important for us to remember. You are the apple of God's eye and the crowning achievement of all of his creation. Isn't that something to think about if you really think about it? And that's true for every single person. There are no illegitimate children. There may be illegitimate parents, but there are no illegitimate children in God's eyes. Every person is of extreme, indescribable value. Life is a miracle, and every person is a miracle of God. Think about it. God knows you and loves you. There are no accidents. Like Beth said on the video earlier, there are no accidents. You were planned and have a purpose. What is your theology of life? Where does that take you? I wrote some underpinnings of uh, developing a biblical theology, and I'm going to read through these, but again, these are printed in detail uh, on the sermon notes on the website or on the app if you have that in front of you. And, and I think these are really, really important. These are in the underpinnings of developing a biblical theology of life. The first one is this. The sanctity of human life must be more than a culture war slogan. If all you do is get on social media and start screaming, hey, I'm pro-life, and do nothing about it, you are more pro-talk than you are pro-life. We got to get involved in meeting the needs of people. We got to volunteer at the PRC. We need to find people that are hurting and hopeless. I don't have insurance. I don't have finance. I don't have anybody that'll support me. How can we get around people who are going through a crisis and lead them and love them to Jesus? We got to think about these things. There are many, many people, as we've learned from our friends at the Pregnancy Resource Center, that choose to have an abortion because there's nobody that cares, there's no money, there's no insurance, there's no support. They're looking for people who will care and support and provide resources. That's us. That's where we step in. That's where we make a difference. That's where we let people know that we care, we deeply care. Another underpinning is we must have a biblical moral conviction that life is precious, all of life, all of life. Physically handicapped, uh, handicapped, mentally handicapped, young, the aged, you know, in between, all ethnicities, all descriptions, all ages, all stages, everybody is precious, so, so precious. We must care deeply about how all people are perceived and treated. Now listen to this. My theology of life is really broad. I must, we must care deeply about how all people are perceived and treated. That's not just unborn babies. It's refugees, people that are attacked and impacted by racism, the poor, the sick, the aged, single moms in need, orphans all alone, at-risk children and teens, abused. Right now our staff is going through a a training on child abuse and uh, sexual abuse, physical abuse, to make sure that we're, you know, just doing everything spectacularly right in protecting and uh, caring for all the kids and youth in our church. In fact, my theology of life has guided me largely through this pandemic 
because to me, life is precious, and we need to do everything we can to protect and respect life and keep people safe. It comes back to a theology of life. It's not a bunch of chatter that everybody has about this, that, or the other thing. What do you believe? What do you believe the Bible teaches about the most core issues of life, such as a theology of life? I encourage you to think deeply. Think deeply about it. I think we need to believe that all people everywhere at all stages of life have supreme value to God and should to us as well. We need to, we need to show human dignity to all people of every description. And we must believe that all human life is a gift from God and is to be respected and protected. So what is your theology of life? Guiding principles, human life is indescribably valuable and precious. Number two, human life is holy and sacred and must be treasured. And three, we are called and commanded to respect and protect life. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 21 through 26 in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you've heard it said, and he quotes the sixth commandment. You've heard it said, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders is going to be subject to judgment. And then Jesus says in verse 22, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Jesus gets to the heart of the matter, which is our heart. And he says, if you're worshiping in the temple and you have odds against someone, you need to pick yourself up, leave the altar, and go make things right with that person. He says, don't be a hypocrite in front of me. Your heart attitude towards other people needs to reflect me, Jesus is saying. You need to live, love, and lead like Jesus. I'm counting on you to be a bridge for lost people to find their way to me. Be the real deal. Be clear, not confusing. We zoom in and we see do not murder. We zoom out and we look at the totality of Scripture, including the teachings of Jesus, and it's all about respecting and protecting life. Jesus said this, John 10.10, I have come to bring life and life to the full. Life matters to Jesus. I was thinking of the timeline. You know, man was created in Genesis chapter 1. You see, uh, we're created in the image of God, verse 26 to 27, like we talked a moment ago. And then sin enters the world a couple chapters later in Genesis chapter 3. And the very first murder in the Bible takes place in Genesis 4. That didn't take very long, did it? You talk about inter, you know, interrelationships and attitudes toward other people. I mean, sin enters the world and then boom, anger turns into hatred, turns into murder. It's just a, a fresh reminder that we need to interrupt the direction and trajectory of our human nature and say, Jesus, come into our life, transform us from head to toe, change how we think so that it translates into how we act. May we think like Jesus, may our mindset be like Christ so that our heart set will become like Christ. Lord, may we all pray this, help me to live, love, and lead like Jesus. Now I have a couple moments and I wanna close with some practical uh, application. How do we respect and protect life? What are some specific ways we can engage 
and do this in our own life. The first is to care. I want to encourage all of us, if you care, you'll be aware. Let's open our eyes and look around us and see who are the vulnerable, at-risk people on the margins of society, in our sphere of influence even, that we can reach out and care. The at-risk, the poor, the alone, the sick, the afflicted, the hurting, refugees. We have people in our church who cross the Rio Grande to try to find a better life in America. Well, there's people that have lots of different views on immigration and refugees and all that kind of thing. I would just ask, what does your theology of life inform you with regard to all sorts of topics? I'm not sure people think deeply about that. You know, other ethnicities, people victimized by prejudice and bigotry, children, youth. How about single moms, the elderly, the food deprived, those in need, those suffering, the mentally ill, the physically ill, the shut-in, the widow, the orphan. We could go on and on. How can we care? That's what the Bethany Compassion Center is all about, is to make sure we're on the front edge, leaning forward as a church family to do anything and everything we possibly can show the love of Jesus Christ in practical ways. But how can we individually ask yourself, what am I doing on a regular basis to care for those in need, those less fortunate? If you've been blessed with much, God is counting on you to serve much. We're to be a conduit through which his grace flows toward others, not to dam it up. May God flow through us to bless other people. What's the best way, the best way, the very best way that you can show the love of Christ by caring to those around you? Secondly, volunteer. Volunteer at the Pregnancy Resource Center. You heard about several specific opportunities. There's many others. As a church family, you've been so gracious, bringing diapers, uh, you know, contributing uh, to uh, the purchase of car seats and diaper bags and uh, pajamas and, you know, other resources that have been going on. And we just thank you for that. Thank you for supporting the ministries of the BCC, which is networking with many organizations, reaching out to women and children, uh, you know, uh, youth, many others that are in need in our community. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We appreciate it so very, very much. It's making a huge difference. The third area is to display grace. How can we show we care? How can we volunteer? And another specific way, and just kind of think with me for a moment about this, is how can we display grace? What are some practical ways we can be more gracious and be more involved in grace? And I've jotted a few things down. You can add to this list. First of all, grace is what Jesus was all about. That's what he was all about. Within the sound of my voice, I know that there are uh, individuals who would say, you know, my life is really torn up because I had an abortion and I've been tormented by it ever since. Well, I want you to know the Healing Hearts Ministry, who is with us here today, majors in walking people through healing. Not just the women, but also the men involved. We serve as a Savior who is about forgiveness and grace and mercy and love. He forgives us. We've all sinned. He forgives us, and he redeems us, and he restores us. Can I hear a big Amen. And if you're here today and you're hurting for whatever reason, I want you to know this is a church that is all about grace. Grace first, grace in the middle, and grace at the end. 
because that's what Jesus is all about. And we want to live, love, and lead like him. Talk to some of the folks in the lobby, or if you're not comfortable, reach out to them. You can get their uh, websites, and they would be in a great position to help. Jesus was all about grace. I never escaped the story of Jesus when the woman who was caught in, in, in adultery was thrown at his feet, the grace that he demonstrated, the grace that he demonstrated to the blind man and the leper, on and on it goes. Many of you are actively engaged in the ministry of adoption and foster care, supporting and encouraging children, youth, and families in one way or another. It's unbelievable when I think about what some of you have done or are doing right now. And I say thank you for leading in this way. You know, I think of... Uh, big brother and big sister type organizations that we all can be involved in. One way that you can uh, dispense grace is by getting involved in the children's ministry of BCA. There are so many single parents that are bringing their kids, and there are so many uh, grandparents that are raising their grandkids now. And I just want to encourage you to get involved. That's an easy thing. You can plug in and get going right away, or, or with our youth, for that matter. Another way to get uh, involved in uh, Dispensing grace is joining a small group or kicking off a brand new semester, as you heard Adam say. Rooted, get started, get involved with other people, see how you can be a blessing, get acquainted, see how you can serve. Fantastic, fantastic opportunity. If we care, we're going to be aware. I read some troubling statistics here recently on suicide. You think of people hurting around us that feel like the only course of action is to take their own life. And it just kind of makes you step back and wake up a little bit and go, man, I got to be more aware. I got to look for signs, warning signs. I need to reach out with love. I need to be aware of mental illness and emotional hurts. Did you know that it's a 10th leading cause of death in our nation? Globally, 800,000 people end their own lives each year. Suicide rates have steadily increased over the past two decades, both around the world and in the U.S. In the United States, 132 suicides happen every day. That's one every 10 to 11 minutes. In addition to that, 1.4 million attempted suicide last year, and 12 million had serious thoughts about it. Jesus said, I have come to bring life and life to the full. Life is precious. I told you a few weeks ago that I conducted a funeral service for a family, and it was for two of their sons that had committed suicide. This was the end of last year. You heard me tell that story. I was thinking about that story again here today, those precious people praying for those families. And I just remember looking in the eyes of that dad who asked me to do the service and then kind of shared his heart. And I just thought, you know, that is tough. That is rough. That is hard. That is challenging. That is difficult. That is, I don't even have the words to describe it. I remember performing a, a wedding in our neighborhood some years ago for uh, our neighbor's kids and the gentleman, a few years later, I found out, and it was really hard to hear, took his own life. 
Through the years, I've tried to encourage many families who have lost a loved one through suicide. And it just reminds me that life is so precious. It's sacred. We are all image bearers, every single person. And we need to ask ourselves, what is our theology of life? And what does that compel us to do in terms of application? How can we do more, be more, be more proactive? Life is short and life is hard. We do not have a lot of time and energy to be wasting it on superfluous stuff. We've got to be focused and alert and attentive and on our game and attuned to people around us. Jesus is counting on us. A lost and dying world is counting on us. And on the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, I just want to challenge all of us to ask the question, what is my biblical worldview? What is my theology of life? And how does it inform how I live my life? And am I living, loving, and leading like Jesus? Lord, big, big issues. Hard, hard truth. But Lord, you are here to help us be the best representation of Jesus that we could ever be in a world that desperately needs Christ. And so I pray for myself and all of my wonderful friends here today, Lord, that you will clarify our theology of life and may we be motivated to look for new, precious opportunities to care for the needs of others. From helping with unborn babies all the way to caring for the aged and everything in between in any way we possibly can. Why? Because we want to respect and protect life. You have come to give life and life to the full. If you're here today, friend, and you'd like to get involved, plugged in, find ways to be of service, let us know about it on that connection card. If you're here today and you've not yet committed your life to Jesus, I want to introduce you to the most beautiful, wonderful, loving, gracious, kind, forgiving, considerate Savior you could ever imagine. And I invite you to just pray, Lord, come into my life, forgive me my sins, I want to follow you. And if you pray that prayer, let me know about it. On the connection card that's in front of you or online, please let us know. We want to pray for you. Lord, as we close the service, I pray you'll go with us. May we be dispensers of your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. We're going to sing. And our prayer team is going to come forward. We'd love to pray with you if we can pray with you about anything. Let's sing and then we'll be dismissed.